Have you ever been in a social or a family gathering when somebody who knows you catches your eye across the room and calls out the question you hate hearing? Hey, Mick, do you remember the time when you dot, dot, dot? In the blink of an eye, your blood runs cold, your pulse quickens, and you prepare to take the blow to your ego that you know is about to land. Eight out of 10 times, the rest of that line recalls one of your most memorable mistakes or your most humiliating failures, or your worst moment. Eight out of 10 times, you do not want them to finish that sentence. Why do our mistakes seem to leave a more lasting impression than our achievements? Are there any of you who wants to be remembered by your worst moment? Has the band U2 Wonders in one of their most popular songs, who wants to be stuck in a moment that you can't get out of? What is one of the most foolish things that you have ever done? And how long did it stick to you? I remember a time when I was 13 years old and I was living in the city of Regina. And my parents had asked me in mid-afternoon to put the barbecue on uh, for that evening's meal. And of course, in those days, there wasn't propane barbecues, though my father was in the propane business. It was charcoal and lighter fluid. On this particular day, it was unusually windy in Regina. And so I tucked the barbecue in behind a wooden windbreak with the hope that I could cut the wind enough to get the fire started, but it wasn't working. And so I got the brilliant idea that if I could just grab something to provide some extra wind blocking, I could get this job done. And so I took what is known in our family as my sister Jackie's dear blanket. She took it with her everywhere she went. And I used that on the windbreak to break the wind. Well. I put on a little extra lighter fluid and the barbecue took off. Unfortunately, either sparks or drips of lighter fluid got on the deer blanket. And the next thing you know, it was in flames. Now, one of my sisters, you know, took the blanket, ran with it to the back of the yard, stuffed it in one of our garbage cans. And we thought we were all good until about an hour after my parents got home, one of our neighbors called and said, hey, Ruth, did you know that one of your garbage cans is smoking? Well, it just seems that family gathering after family gathering, this story comes up. Hey, Mick, do you remember the time when you burnt Jackie's deer blanket? One of my friends thought it would be helpful to send me a calendar of demotivational posters. You heard it right. Demotivational thoughts about dealing with mistakes. And here is some demotivational wisdom. For instance, uh, mistakes. These are your stepping stones to failure. Well, that's got to lift your spirits. Or how about this one? Mistakes. Try not to make one. As if. Number three, regrets. It hurts to admit that you made a mistake. But if the mistake is big enough, the pain only lasts for a second. And then here's my all-time favorite. Mistakes. Could it be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others? Well, making mistakes is a normal human practice. Learning from your mistakes is an acquired skill. Now today, we are concluding a series called Stranger Stories. And our focus has been on those highly unusual, hard to explain stories from the Bible that surprise and bewilder us. These are the stories that you didn't hear about in Sunday school but they pack important lessons for us nevertheless. And this series, we're striving to learn from these remarkable accounts. 
In the book of Acts, Luke records a series of episodes in the life of the early church from its beginnings in Jerusalem to its eventual impact in the city of Rome. And Luke is not just a storyteller, he is also a teacher. And his stories give the reader insight and instruction as to what the Holy Spirit was doing in those days. So let me lean on Luke to set the scene for today's stranger story. So this is Acts chapter 20, starting in verse seven. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, this is Luke talking, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Okay, let me set the scene. Paul is en route from Ephesus to Jerusalem. Luke is with him, so he is an eyewitness to everything that happens. Now, a riot in Ephesus and opposition along the way marks Paul's road back to the birthplace of the church. At this point in the book of Acts, Paul has already concluded his work in Greece and is on a farewell tour, saying goodbye to the Christians in Asia Minor. And one of his pit stop is in the city of Troas, where we pick up this remarkable story. He's already spent six and a half days there, and he's down to his final night. And as a result, Paul spends his final hours in the city preaching, worshiping God, breaking bread in the upper room amid a house church gathering. In fact, we're told that midnight has already arrived and Paul shows no signs of slowing down. He doesn't know if he's ever gonna see these people again, so he is making the most of this short visit. But it is right here where things take a strange turn. Something unexpected and startling takes place. This is how Luke tells the story. There were, in that upper room, many lamps where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the window, sank into a deep sleep. And as Paul talked on and on. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Okay, as I read this account and preparing for this today's talk, I had to ask myself this question. Why does Luke of all the things that happened in all the places where the churches were meeting over 30 years that the book of Acts represents, of all the healings, of all the salvations, of all of the changed communities, why does Luke account this story of all stories? Why does he find this incident so noteworthy? Why does he draw our attention to it? Well, the obvious answer is that in this real life event, Paul is used by God to raise someone from the dead. Now that's not unheard of in scripture. Paul is in the company of Elijah and Elisha and Peter and Jesus himself. But it is a rare occurrence even in the Bible. But there are other things to be learned here. I think Luke tells this story for at least these three reasons. Number one, Luke tells this story because of what Eutychus did. He made a foolish mistake. Luke describes Eutychus as a young participant in the worshiping community in Troas. His name ironically means lucky or fortunate one. This account is his 15 minutes of fame. And what happens in this story is why he is remembered to this day. He is stuck in this moment. Now the story commands our attention because it is both comic and tragic at the same time. And these are the two ways scholars have tried to deal with this story. The comic interpretation goes something like this. Paul has made headlines in the region and now for the first time is coming to Troas. Everyone in town is talking about it. Everyone is canceling their other plans to hear him speak. 
Paul's visit is the buzz all day at work and then evening comes and everybody gathers in the upper room. And at long last, Eutychus is finally able to hear Paul, but it's been a long day. And the warm Mediterranean air permeates the building and the lamps in the room flicker almost hypnotically. Paul goes on and on and Eutychus is finally overcome by the confluence of all of these factors that would have put anyone to sleep. Some modern interpreters have read Acts 7 to 12 through a humorous lens, pointing out, see what happens when preachers preach too long? Other interpreters have treated Eutychus's fall as a no-fault accident. Paul's teaching laughs all night. Modern readers frequently feel empathy with the youthful Eutychus, reasoning that Eutychus can be excused for falling asleep during Paul's lengthy sermon. They're more likely to criticize the long-winded preacher than the youthful listener who dozes off. The problem with that interpretation, however, is that it does not readily explain why Luke included this story in the book of Acts. But there's another interpretation. The tragic interpretation gives us another understanding that goes something like this. Paul has made headlines in the region is now for the first time coming to Troas. Everyone in town is talking about it. Everyone is canceling their other plans to hear him speak. Paul's visit is the buzz all day at work and then evening comes. Everyone gathers in the upper room and a young man is swept up in the crowd surge, but when he gets there, he looks around and picks the furthest seat away from the center of the action. He sees an open third floor window and makes a beeline for the perch. He's present, but distant from the proceedings. Now, these scholars argue that the first readers of Acts would likely have interpreted Eutychus's actions as tragic mistake that could have been and should have been prevented. Eutychus's fall would have been seen more as a downfall rather than an excusable accident. Bad luck, they would say, is not responsible for this event. Eutychus is, he chose his own seat. In this reading, Eutychus's choice of a seat suggests a casual attitude towards what's happening in the room. He makes the choice to be on the edge of the crowd, but he sits as far away from the place where the speaker stood as the room allowed. Seen in this way, this account acts as a cautionary spiritual warning for Luke's readers to, to be alert and attentive to what God is saying through the preached word. Readers are encouraged to avoid Eutychus's careless actions and to cultivate spiritual alertness. In his writings, Luke frequently associates the disciples' failures with the behavior of falling asleep. The disciples sleep through pivotal moments in salvation history. They drift away into unconsciousness during decisive moments of Jesus' work in the world. In Luke's gospel, sleep often functions metaphorically to illustrate the disciples' spiritual dullness and failure. Now, listen, we've all had those moments when we have guarded our personal distance from God by keeping what he is saying at arm's length. Or maybe just the business of life have dulled our ear to hear the whispers of the Holy Spirit in our heart. The Bible again and again calls us to spiritual alertness, to pay attention to what God has to say. And has with Eutychus in this interpretation, the mistake of spiritual complacently can lead to a fall. Well, the question is, why two impossible, uh, possible interpretations? It's because Luke tells us what happened, but he does not comment on Eutychus's state of heart or mind. We're left to draw conclusions based on his behavior. And whichever one of these two interpretations makes the most sense to you, you must concede that sitting in an open window on the third floor of a building with the street below is questionable judgment for anyone, whatever their motive. 
Eutychus did not choose his seat with some kind of death wish. He simply made a choice that made his fall inevitable in the circumstances. And if we're honest, we sometimes do the same thing, don't we? We set out not to ruin our lives, but sometimes we make choices that make that ruin inevitable. But Eutychus per decision leads to an unexpected result because Luke doesn't stop here. This story does not really revolve around what Eutychus did. And that brings us to the second reason why I think Luke tells this story. He tells this story because of what Paul did. And what Paul does in this story is he responds with compassion and mercy. Let's go back to the upper room scene. Eutychus teeters on the edge of consciousness, on the edge of the window, and suddenly he's gone. One moment he's there, the next he vanishes. And then someone notices, and a woman screams. And as everybody stares out of the window, immobilized in sun silence, Paul sizes up the situation, rushes downstairs, gathers the boy into his arm, and prays for his life in faith that God will act. Luke writes, but Paul went down and bent over him, taking him into his arms and said, don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. Now, how do you respond to others' mistakes and foolish decision? Typically, our first response is often judgment or rebuke or blame or sarcasm. In the face of someone's foolish behavior, have you ever heard yourself thinking or saying things like, and you call yourself a Christ follower, or you've made your bed, now you have to lie in it, or now that has to be the stupidest thing that anyone has ever done, or what kind of an idiot sits in a third floor window? But this is not how Paul responds. Paul shows mercy in the face of human weakness. And mercy is the compassionate treatment of those who are in distress, especially when it's in one's power to punish or harm them. Paul did not judge, he did not rebuke, he did not humiliate the boy, he acted with compassion. And mercy is the fruit of compassion. Mercy is a gift given to someone who is suffering by someone acting with agape love. And when compassion acts to alleviate suffering, it becomes mercy, it becomes love in action. And in this verse, Paul's actions paint an unforgettable picture of compassion for Eutychus and the whole community in Troas. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, but it's receiving what you desperately need. The Bible tells us that mercy is who God is, that mercy is what God does, and mercy is what you need, it's what we all need. Pastor Craig Rochelle describes it like this. He says, mercy is like a huge bucket of water filled to the rim so that if you bumped into it, it would spill all over you. His mercy is so great that he doesn't just forgive us when we fail, but he erases any record of the failure. He doesn't just reduce our sentence, eternal punishment. He eliminates us and sets us free. Well, Paul concludes this episode with chapter 11, where he says, and when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until break and so departed. So it appears that Paul did not lecture Eutychus. He ministered to him in his distress. He did not have words with the youth. He saved his words for the whole congregation. And his words continued all night until the sun came up. And this is how the story ends. But we're not quite finished because I think there's one more reason why Luke tells this story. I think Luke tells this story because of what God did. He miraculously and supernaturally resuscitates the young man. And that's what we read. They took the youth away 
alive and they were not a little comforted according to Luke's gospel. Now, listen, that has got to be an understatement. What looked to be a disaster turned out to be a miracle. The dead comes back to life. Don't tell me this story did not get told and retold. But as significant as the part that Paul played in the drama was, the real hero of the tale is God himself. We learn from Paul's actions something about the way that God deals with our mistakes and failures. When we make mistakes and failures, how does God see us? How does God respond to our own mistakes and foolish decisions? Well, number one, he sees us realistically. He sees us as we really are, dark side and all, all our thoughts and feelings and attitudes and tensions. He looks on the heart. He knows what we're made of. And there's nothing about us that is surprise to our Father in heaven. We don't need to hide from him. We don't need to pretend. He understands us. He gets us. But not only does he see us realistically, he sees us completely. He knows our inner troubles and our outer afflictions. Whatever we're facing, he's got the whole matter entirely in view. He understands our circumstances. And finally, and most importantly, he sees us and he loves us unconditionally. He loves us despite our failure. He doesn't reject us because of our mistake. He gives us space to recover and get back on track. He gives us room to make things right again. He just doesn't write us off as irrecoverable. He gives us another chance. And so when we make a mistake, human beings tend to put us in a box so that we can't do any more damage, keep us stuck in the moment, as it were. But God puts us in a large place where we can get things turned around. I don't think Luke tells this story simply to fill in his timeline of Paul's return to Jerusalem. And I don't think he recounted the episode to humiliate Eutychus. At the same time, this story is here to demonstrate the goodness and the mercy of God in the face of human folly. Have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever wondered if there was any hope of recovery? Have you ever felt your foolish choice or mistake has ruined everything and is the final word on your life? I wonder how Eutychus felt every time this story was told. Hey, Eutychus, do you remember the time when you fell out of the window? Whenever this story was told and retold, I have a feeling that Eutychus focused not on his bad decision, but on a good God who redeemed his worst moment. Somebody has said that mistakes, it's always good to learn from your mistakes, but it's better to learn from someone else's. And I think that's another reason why Luke tells this story, not to laugh about what Eutychus did, not to judge his decisions, but to learn from his example and celebrate what God did. What God did for Eutychus in his worst moment, he can do for you in your worst moment. Remember, mercy is not getting what you deserve, but it's receiving what you desperately need. God can redeem your biggest mistake. God's mercy and grace are more than enough to overcome your greatest disappointments. And this brings us to our big idea. Uh, the one phrase that sort of encapsulizes the teaching of this whole message. And our big idea today is this, even at our worst, God is working for our best. Paul says this in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Note that Paul doesn't say just the good things God uses, not just our best moments, but all of our moments. He works all things together for good. And that includes foolish choices and some devastating mistakes. Now, this promise isn't for everyone, but for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Loving God begins with knowing Jesus. And knowing Jesus begins with the honesty to admit your mistakes and the humility to ask God for forgiveness and the willingness to invite Jesus Christ into your life as Lord and Savior. 
Well, what about you today? Do you need the mercy of God? Are you ready to receive his mercy? I wanna lead you in a prayer to ask Jesus Christ into your life today. Why don't you pray with me? My God and Father, we admit that as we try to live our lives and sometimes leave you on the outside, we make mistakes, we sin, we disappoint you, and we break your heart. But Lord, we thank you that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that there is forgiveness and the hope of a brand new future. Dear Lord, come into my heart, forgive my sin, wash away the memory of all of those mistakes and make me anew. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and Lord, help me to walk hand in hand with you in all the days ahead. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer with me and you made it your own, then you have just stepped from death to life. You have been resuscitated spiritually. You now have a brand new life, a brand new lease on life. And if you've made that decision today, there is a uh, telephone number, uh, a text message number on your screen. If you text that number, a pastor will receive it and they will get back to you this week to help you take the next step in your walk of faith. God bless you, everyone.